Oh man, I appreciate the prayer and I would ask that, that everyone would continue to pray for all of us uh, as we certainly need the prayers of those that we love and, and uh, you know, and God has commanded us to pray. You know, Christ did command his people to pray. And then Paul said men ought to pray always <clears throat> without ceasing. Um, so my, my thoughts this morning, I'm going back to the book of Proverbs, uh, the same chapter we're in last week, but a different uh, scripture we'll take. It's the ninth chapter of the book of Proverbs. And uh, <clears throat> and it reads like this. Wisdom hath builded her house, she hath hewn out her seven pillars. She hath killed her beast, she hath mingled her wine, she hath also furnished her table. She hath sent forth her maidens, and she crieth upon the highest places of the city. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth or lacketh understanding, she saith unto him, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine which I have mingled. So, the, uh, <clears throat> the, the whole concept of this chapter, or at least the beginning of it, and it kind of it keeps the same theme throughout, is the uh, is the wisdom of God? And I said last week you you can't you can't disconnect the wisdom from God or God from His wisdom no more than you can the sunbeams from the sun. It's it's when you got one you have the other. And uh, this is this is a a great picture of the New Testament church written in the Old Testament. This is a foreseeing of of the uh, of the fullness of what Christ built on this earth. Now, when he's uh, and, and, and when it says wisdom, wisdom hath built her house. You know, Christ said in Matthew 16 uh, upon the exchange that Peter knew Jesus Christ personally, and Christ knew Peter personally, and upon that solid relationship. That union between God and man, uh, that that union between God and His children. Christ said, "I will build my church." So everything that Christ builds in this church, in the in the in the New Testament church, is a full and complete picture. Uh, he does not leave us hanging and, and 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 wanting of anything. He gives us everything the church needs. For our peace and comfort, for our uh, timely salvation, for our fellowship with Him and fellowship with each other, for our discipleship. Uh, he gives us also, as we talked last week, about warnings. Christ does not hide anything from His people. Uh, he, he simply gives everything because He cares. Uh, now, it says that she hath built her house, she hath hewn out her seven pillars. In the, in the book, uh, in the Bible, the, the word or the number seven indicates a completion. And that's what we're looking at here. We're looking at a complete view in the Old Testament of what the New Testament church would look like uh, when, when Christ would unveil and, and what Brother Cole talked about last week, the mystery that had been hid from ages is now made known unto the saints, uh, that God is simply going to hide nothing anymore. That there will be a great, uh, almost like the, uh, the, the, the sun of wisdom when it shines and it just pours down upon the inhabitants. You can see now. You can see why God does things. You can see who God does things for. You can see what was done for them. You can see the effect of that. You can see everything tied up in the fullness of the gospel kingdom, that which the Lord built himself. And she talks about meat and drink. Same as Jesus. Jesus, Jesus in, his, in the 21st uh, chapter of the Gospel of Luke tells his disciples, I appoint unto you a kingdom as the Father appointed unto me. Not a different one. And nor, does the, nor do the disciples of any age and dispensation have a right to add to the kingdom or take it away. You can't add to something that's perfect I'm not talking about the inhabitants of it are perfect. I'm talking about the system of it is. 
Uh, and, and the disciples, the, the very thing that was appointed to Christ by the Father, He gives to us. And we have it today. It is still intact in this world today. And it will be till the Lord comes back. There will be glory to God in the church throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now that is, that is a solemn promise that God makes to Himself. That as long as time stands, He's going to have a people worshiping Him in spirit and truth. Everything that wisdom has to give, they're going to have it. And there's going to be a, there's going to be a church on this earth when the Lord comes back still maintaining the truth of the gospel. Now, Christ also said to those same disciples, He says, as, as I point unto you a kingdom, as the Father pointed unto me, that ye may sit at my table and you might eat and drink. So there, you see the correlation there. You see, the, you see how closely tied the words of Christ are to the, to the ninth chapter of the book of Proverbs. Now, <clears throat> says he, she, she sent forth her maidens. Now, it, it, listen, it's not uncommon for wisdom to be talked about in the female gender uh, that is common in the scriptures. Uh, Jesus Christ said concerning uh, uh, that in, uh, when he was talking to the Pharisees, he says, John the Baptist, he came neither drinking or eating bread or drinking wine, and you say of him, behold, he has a devil. The Son of Man, Jesus says, which is by himself, came eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber. He says, but wisdom is justified of her children. And the word justified just means known. So wisdom, the, the, the children of wisdom, this kind of wisdom, I'm talking about spiritual wisdom, I'm talking about earthly wisdom, worldly wisdom, that wisdom that we talk about in the, in the first chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, that God makes foolish. God makes foolish the wisdom of this world. I'm talking about wisdom from God. Godly wisdom, divine wisdom, is justified of her children. So when her children have this wisdom, they understand everything about God that, that, is, that is revealed. Me and Brother Carlos was talking, there are some things that are hid. The hidden things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to men. So when he, she sends out her maidens, here comes your gospel ministers. Here comes the ministers of the gospel to cry to those who lack understanding and wanting of knowledge. And she says, come in hither. Don't go out there. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn away. Don't turn uh, your back upon the Word of God. Come in hither. And guess what she has? She has meat and drink. Come eat of my bread and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Now that is what I want to talk about, Lord willing, this morning. The wine that I have mingled. And you know what mingle means. It means to mix together. You, you've, you ever been told by somebody when you enter into a, in a room, they say, you know, go mix and mingle with everybody and get to know them. If there's, a, there's a mixing and a mingling together that, that wisdom does. This is God's doing, by the way. He does His own mixing, right? He, he does His own mixing and He does His own mingling of His own wine. Now, when I would read this in the past, I wasn't sure exactly uh, what mingling meant because it was a common practice in some of the uh, 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 eastern nations years ago to, if, if the wine didn't, if it was too strong of a wine, they would put water in it uh, and mingle some water to, to reduce the, 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 the stoutness of it. Uh, I don't think that is what he is talking about here. That is, that is not. In fact, that was talked against by God uh, to the, uh, in, in fact, in a very negative way, in the first chapter of the book of, of uh, Isaiah, God says this is, this is a uh, result of people who do not, and, and the Israelites didn't, keep the commandments of God, and, and they simply change things to their own likings. And that never does work. In the first chapter, in the 21st verse, is how the faithful city uh, has become a harlot. 
And that's a, now that's spiritual whoredom, by the way, and that is, that, that is what he is talking about. It was full of judgment. It was full of righteousness, or righteousness lodged in it, but now there are murderers. Thy silver is become dross, and thy wine mixed with water. This shows a negative connotation to this type of mixture. God does not mean for us to, to reduce what He has given us in the fullness of the gospel, in the fullness of wisdom, in the fullness of God. God does not desire us to weaken the wine that He has mixed and mingled together. So what does mingling of wine mean? Uh, now, I, I enjoy uh, making homemade wine myself. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, uh, there, there's an art to that. You just don't throw that stuff together. Sometimes it don't turn out very good. You might as well toss it out. Uh, but now what, when God talks about wine, and, and, and wine is used 231 times in the Scripture, so it's important. It's important. Now, <clears throat> there is, you know, and, and I don't know what all you know about wine, but every, every grape that, that is out there, uh, you can tell the type wine by the name of the grape. So you, if you drink a Merlot wine, it is a Merlot grape. A Chardonnay comes from a Chardonnay grape. And all of these wines have a particular flavor about them. They're all different because the fruit is different. Now, they may be similar in flavor, but they are all different and distinct wines. And there are things you can get out there called a wine blend. And that is a mixture of different grapes to make the wine. Now, uh, <clears throat> let me, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is this. <clears throat> Every point that I want to talk about this morning concerning this wine, concerning the mingled wine, you can take the Bible and God uses wine to teach us a lesson about every point that we need to know about the New Testament church. And He does it in the Old Testament and He does it in the New Testament. So in other words, you can take different wine that God gives in knowledge from here, from here, from here, from here in the Scriptures and you can put it all together. And that's what God does. God teaches us everything we need to know with a lesson about wine. So it is a wine blend. In other words, it is the truths that God teaches all mixed into one vat. And when you drink of that vat, you can tell the distinct flavors of each one of those wines. In other words, you can, you can tell the distinct truths of God's Word. So when wisdom mingles her wine, she's not watering it down. She's just simply going to give you the best. She's going to give you everything that you need to understand the will of God so let's get started with wine number one. Every one of these go into the vat. Every one have a place. Every one of these wines has a flavor. And it is meant for you to taste and understand who God is, who you are, and, and, and many other things concerning our salvation in Christ Jesus. Now, the very, the very first one is the wine found in the 27th chapter of the book of Genesis. Uh, now this is uh, a, a this is something I've preached on lately. Uh, I hope it is fresh to you, but I need to go over it again. Uh, and that is the wine of election. The wine of election. Election is an uncommon theme in the world today, in the religious world. And the reason why it's uncommon is people don't understand it. Once you understand election, you love election. Uh, and in and that little book, there's a song in there called Election, the Noblest Theme. <laughs> and it is a noble theme when you understand election. Now, in the, uh, in the 27th chapter of Genesis, <clears throat> you remember the, 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 that, that Rebecca had two children within her. And she knew there was a struggling going on between these two children. It wasn't just any normal pregnancy. And she went and inquired to the Lord about what is the trouble, why is it thus with me? And he told her specifically, because there are two nations of people in thy womb. There's two manner of people, two nations in thy womb. And he said, uh, the elder shall serve the younger. No questions, 
You know, the, the common way of, 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 the, of the blessing being given to the next generation was always to the firstborn. Uh, the firstborn got the majority of things and got the greater blessing. God says, that is not so with these two children. Because I have chosen one of them already to be the recipient of a covenant promise that I've already made to Abraham and I've made to Isaac and I'm going to make it to Jacob. And that is this. Not only will they become a great nation, but from their loins and from their seed, there's going to arise a man one day. And this man... Through this man will all the nations of the earth be blessed. That doesn't mean every man in every nation, but that means God has a people of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. A people according to Revelation chapter 7. That is the fact. So it is a covenant promise that Christ is going to come in a, in a due time. Now, when, uh, when, when the time came that, you know, that Isaac was, was his, his eyes were dim, he couldn't see, he was blind, so he couldn't see his sons. And apparently Rebekah did not tell him about this. Because the way, if you read about Isaac, Isaac would not have denied God if something God had told him that he was going to do, he would have just told Esau, I am sorry, but God has told me that Jacob is going to receive the blessing. Apparently Rebekah did not tell him for whatever reason. Uh, so Isaac is planning on blessing Esau with the blessing. And you know what happened? You know, you know uh, Rebecca steps in and says to, to Jacob, because Isaac sent Esau out to kill the venison, to cook it, to come in. He wanted to eat. He wanted to be refreshed. And he wanted to bless his eldest son Esau with the primary blessing of God. But it was not to be. So he goes out, and, and uh, Rebecca tells Jacob, "I'm going to kill the, I'm going to kill the, uh, the the animals. I'm going to cook it. You go and you get the the hair, and you put it on the back of your hands, on the back of your neck, put on the raiment of your brother Esau, and you go get the blessing from Isaac. And that's what happened. He goes in, and and you know there's a there's a little question in Isaac's voice. You know the the smell is my is the smell of my son Esau." It feels like Esau, but the voice is the voice of Jacob. But Jacob said, It is I, thy firstborn Esau. So now Isaac conveys on Jacob because Jacob is and represents God's elect family. The Lord's portion is his people. Do you ever think about that? God has a portion. The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot or representative of that inheritance. Jacob represents an election. That's, that's who God chooses to use to teach the lesson. And, uh, and, and, and so when, when Jacob comes in and, and goes before Isaac, Isaac says in the 28th verse, Therefore God give thee. Notice who Isaac expresses distinctly where these blessings would come from. These blessings are God's blessings. <clears throat> Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn, which is what they made bread from, that's wheat, barley, and rye. Plenty of corn and plenty of wine. Wine belongs solely to... This type of wine that I'm speaking of, this, this collection, this mingled wine, belongs to God's elect. In fact, it, is a, it shows that God has an elect people. It is particularly for them. The blessing of it was conveyed to Jacob and not to Esau. And we know in the ninth chapter of the book of Romans, when, when Paul teaches that great doctrine of election, that this robs every one of us from thinking that we deserve to go to heaven. This robs every child of God who ever has the vile thought, the vain thought that you are worthy enough on your own to make it into heaven or that, that, uh, that, that, or that you even need to help Christ. How absurd for the sinner to consider himself elevated to the point that Jesus needs you to consent to His will. God needs us to consent. And God needs us 
to fulfill laws that, that we just can't do. And I'm going to prove that to you also concerning why. All right. So the scriptures read thus. Ninth chapter, again, the, the, uh, the old saying is, if you've got a doctrine or an emergency, go to 9-11. Ninth chapter of Romans, the 11th verse, and it reads like this. <clears throat> and at this time, Rebekah shall have, who was conceived even by our father Isaac. She shall have two sons, right? And it says <clears throat> that the children, being not yet born, so they're still in the womb, the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand. Not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, it was said unto her that the elder shall serve the younger. For Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. Anybody ever heard that verse before? Of course you have. And that's a that's a difficult verse. Now the common expression by people is that's unfair. That's unfair. Well, if you look at election that everybody deserves a chance or the choice to go to heaven, that we're all just a, you know, that God loves us all the same and that uh, he's going to provide his son to die and he's going to, he's going to just, he's going to kill his son uh, and pour his wrath out on his son, but his son's not going to save you completely. I'm going to leave it into the hands of this multitude of people that I love so much. And if they don't do right and if they don't succeed, I'm going to love them right on into hell. That does not make any sense to me. Because that is not scripturally sound. That is not the way to look at election. If you look at election from the view of total depravity, that even the Lord's people are by nature the children of wrath, even as others, that we can do nothing to earn our place in heaven. Nothing. All we ever do, and I tried to preach on this a few weeks ago, we're judged according to our works. If we are not judged according to Christ and His work on the cross, we're judged according to our works. And there is no argument with God that you have any right to stand up and say, Look what I have done, God. I have appeased thy wrath. Surely the goodness, I am a good enough fellow to go on into heaven. That will never stand before the judgment seat of Almighty God. So the common question is, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Is God unrighteous to elect a people an inheritance for His name? Is God unrighteous to choose before the world is even formed? This, this is important wine. This goes into the vat, y'all. If you don't understand this, the rest of it is hard to, it's hard to decipher. You've got to get this part right first. <clears throat> is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith unto Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So it is not of him that runneth, nor of him that willeth, but it is of God that shows mercy. That's why you are titled the vessels of mercy that God had afore prepared unto glory. How long ago did God prepare you to glory? Before He even spoke this world into existence. You were all already chosen in Christ. You were given to Him as a surety, as a pledge. The pledge was already made, the covenant, the contract, everything was intact. God did not go into this thing blind and wonder how it's going to turn out. God simply had everything fixed and settled in the mind of eternity before the world was even formed. That is what election is. That is how firm. That is why the writer says it is a noble thing. That goes into the vat. That is a part of this mingled wine. That God has an inheritance. In the 33rd Psalm... In the 33rd Psalm, it reads like this. And we're going to have to move on to get to each one and spend a little time there. In the 33rd Psalm, 12th verse, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom He hath chosen for His own inheritance. That's about as plain as you can write it. You mean, that, you mean election is taught in the Old Testament? Yes, it is. David said, Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causes. Doesn't say to ask. He doesn't say would like to. 
But blessed is the man that God chooses and causes to approach unto him, for he shall dwell in thy holy tabernacle. He shall eat at thy table. So, so uh, So the theme of election is an important one. And it, it, is, it is a wine, right? That's what God bestowed. It is, a, it is the blessing of God. This, the children of this promise shall have plenty of wine that goes in this vat that they can taste, and they can taste each, each individual one to know exactly what I have done for them, to identify themselves. And there is a wine of, of identity. All right, <clears throat> so... We know about God's elect. The next wine is the wine of all wines. It is the wine of the blood of Jesus Christ. That he himself uses wine as an emblem of his blood is important. You remember when he went into the upper room with his disciples before he was crucified? The Lord Jesus Christ took the cup, and he said, Drink, for this is the blood of the covenant, or the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of their sins. How many did Jesus die for? I have no idea. He died for his elect. I'm talking about he died for them in such a way that Paul says, uh, uh, who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? There's got to be a foundation upon that statement. Why was that statement made by the Apostle Paul if Paul did not know about this wine of Jesus' blood? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, and is at the right hand of God, and even makes intercession for us while we're on this earth. You see the answer to all those questions. God justifies. Christ dies. Well, when Christ died, what did He do? He shed His blood. God provided His own offering and sacrifice to satisfy Himself. God simply... uh, uh, did not spare his son. And that's why Paul said that. He that spared not his son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Everything that Christ has, you have in him. Is Christ in heaven today? Yes, he is. Shall the elect be in heaven someday? Yes, they shall. shall the, do they have a, a place on this earth to worship as Christ set up? Yes, they do. Are there spiritual blessings for them? Yes, there are. Everything that Christ has, He has given to us. That is what kind of Savior you have, friends. That is, that is why He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy. So that, so that uh, the blood of Christ, God provides for Himself. Because that, that blood is the only thing that would make peace. You understand that God had a, he had a controversy with you and me. There, there is a disagreement. There is a, there is a gap. <clears throat> there is a breach between God and His chosen family. Now, even though the song says, "Betwixt God and His chosen race lies a bond of sovereign grace," that is true, and thankfully for it. But there, there had to be a reason why Christ had to come because there was a gap, there was a breach that God had with His children. When Adam fell, guess what? All of God's elect family fell right into the same condition. We became God's enemies. We became, we became just wretched, vile sinners. Now folks say, well, Adam, you know, he didn't lose his complete innocence. And then everybody who's born of, of man and woman, they have a little good. That is a common theme, you know, that every, there's a little good in everybody. And everybody's got to look at that in them and find that good. And with that good, they've got to make the choice to serve God and make the choice to accept Christ. Make the choice to, 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 uh, to accept that offering that Christ has made for them. You cannot find a verse in the Bible that indicates such a doctrine as that. That is not right. God never intended for us to accept 
him or his own work. God had to accept his own work. God had to accept the work of Christ, not you and I. And God did. So, so with the with the uh, with the with the bridge being or the breach being made, and there's no there's no nothing to fill the gap. And there, there's only anger and divine justice in Almighty God who hates sin, by the way. In fact, it is said of Jesus Christ, Thou hates iniquity and thou lovest righteousness. So God said in due time, it's time for you to go into the world and it's time for you to shed your blood. And Christ did. He willingly submitted Himself to the will of God, fulfilled that demand. Paul can say it this way, Therefore, making peace by the blood of His cross to reconcile all things unto Himself. How, how was peace made? By the blood of the cross. That's important wine, y'all. That is important wine that goes into the vat. Jesus Christ did not try to save anybody. Jesus Christ did not try to save one individual. Jesus Christ saved all the Father had given him in covenant promise before the world has even formed. That is important wine. That goes into the vat. If you understand election, you understand the, the wine of Jesus' blood, you understand exactly what it did. It made peace. That's why the Old Testament writer in the book of, uh, of Psalms uh, can say, Mercy and truth have met together, and righteousness and peace have kissed one another. And, and that, you look back at Calvary and you can see the fulfillment of that scripture. That mercy and truth met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed one another in the death of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, Paul says, there is no remission of sins. It had to be shed. And it could not be shed by any other individual. It could not be shed by any animal. It could not be shed by any other source on this earth, under this earth, or in heaven. An angel could not die. It had to be the Son of God who was made flesh just like you and I and had blood running through his veins. And his blood was pure blood. So when, 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 uh, when he uses wine as his own emblem... There's a reason why. There's nothing better to use. There is nothing better to use than wine as the emblem or a type of the blood of Jesus Christ. That goes into the vat. That's part of the mixture. You can taste that separate from election, but it is tied hard to it. Now, you say, well, Brother Kevin, there's, there's, there's two wines. There's election. There's the blood. I know the elect have to be saved. Nothing can be laid to their charge. How do I know I'm a part of them? By another wine. There is a wine of identity. There is a wine that identifies us as God's elect family. Now, it is not very pleasant in the beginning. And this, 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 this is where the system of religion uh, cannot get it right. <clears throat> they tell us that... All right, you sinner, what you've got to do is admit you're a sinner, feel the sting of your sin, confess your sins to God, and they may add a few more things to that, and then you'll be born again. Now notice, notice what they're asking. They're asking the sinner to feel something that the sinner cannot feel. Until he is born again. That's their problem. The problem is you cannot feel something until God teaches you that thing you must feel. And God brings it to you and you can't help but feel it. And it, it is indicated by wine. In the Psalm 60, uh, the 60th Psalm, um, it is said... Thou hast taught thy people. Notice, notice the connection. 
Thou hast taught thy people hard things, and thou hast made them to drink the wine of astonishment. This is your first flavor of wine that every child of God gets. This is the first taste. This is when the, when, this is when the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, uh, simply invades you and you are now a new creature. Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Notice this after he is in Christ, he is a new creature. Well, what happens after that? Old things are passed away. All things are become, become new. Now there is something new. Because there is an invading nature that has come and is, and is contradicting myself. This nature that is in me that I have been at peace with all these years. I have never had any worries and anxieties over sin. Mom and Daddy took me to church. They, I could hear the preacher talk about hell. Didn't bother me one bit. I, I, I never really even thought about things like that. He taught me to, they, they said to talk about your, uh, 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 your sins and your iniquities. That you're a sinner. Well, I might be. You know, I might be, how do I know that? I never feel that way. I like to go out and do the things that I do. It doesn't bother me to sin until the day that God invades your territory, takes possession of the soul, comes in with the truth, comes in with a, with a perfect divine nature, exposes to you what you are. That is drinking the wine of astonishment. You stand amazed at how rotten you are before God. You stand amazed how vile a sinner that you now feel to be that you would have never felt had not this taken place. That is your first taste of wine. It is not pleasant, but it is necessary. And God means for His people to drink it. He will give it to them. They will have it. And uh, it will be in a due time. Alright? So, so Paul tells Timothy, there is one God. Everybody agrees with that. One God. And there is one mediator or a go-between between that God and men. There's a one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Now, who's that all? All the Father gave him. To be testified in due time. God says in due time, there's going to be a testimony given to them. They'll be testified. They're going to drink the wine of astonishment. They're going to be born again. I am going to give them of my nature. God says concerning this covenant people, God says concerning the people that He has always loved and never has not loved them. Never has God not loved His people. He says concerning those people under that covenant, in that due time, He says, I'm going to write my laws into their heart and and, and inscribe them in their mind. They shall be my people. At that time, they are taught of God. Jesus Christ said that, you know, in John chapter 6. Jesus says, and they shall all be taught of God. Who's the all? All the Father gave. Because He said, all the Father giveth me shall come to me. And I will, I will and, who, and whosoever cometh to me, I'll let no wise cast out. Can't cast them out. Can't lose one of them. Will not lose them. They are mine. They are my sheep. Even though they went astray, all we like sheep are going astray. Uh, and everyone to his own way. But guess what? God laid upon Christ the iniquities of us all. There's that other blood that he shed. And here is the testimony that you have it, that you're part of God's elect family, is that God gives you the wine of astonishment, a discovery by the light of God in you now that you are a vile sinner, you are a law offender, you are somebody that, that you did not know before. You're a different person now. Old things have passed away. All things become new. There is now struggle within your breast that was never there before. The preacher cannot make you feel that way. Neither can your mama or your daddy. It cannot be verbally given. It is a heavenly, holy, and a high calling of God. And God does it in due time. In His own time. We know of a thief that reviled the Lord Jesus Christ. It says both of them did, y'all. Both of them. Both thief was reviling the Lord. Sometime between that time that he was reviling the Lord and his death, God visited that thief. Gave him a wine of astonishment, didn't he? So he could turn to the Savior. He did not turn to the Savior and said, Lord, what do I need to do? <laughs> what do I need to do to help you with this? What can I do? He just said, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He knew because God had made him know by drinking that wine that he was a sinner Please remember me. And Christ confirmed his election to him. This day 
shall thou be with me in paradise. Confirmed it to the to him. God Christ did not need it confirmed to him, but the sinner did. A confirmation of election is drinking the wine of astonishment. That goes into the vat. That is a whole different flavor, but it is necessary flavor. And it, it gives you an identity that you are a child of grace, an elect of God, of that innumerable host that John says in Revelation that no man can number out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation of people. These are God's people. These are His inheritance. All right. Now, the, uh, <clears throat> the next wine, so we have an injured individual, right? I mean, the wine of astonishment is an injury to the individual. It's perplexion. It's anxiety. It brings, uh, it brings uh, stress. It brings worry. Uh, you know, folks say, well, don't, <laughs> you know, you, you tell somebody, just don't worry about your sins. Let me tell you, friends, when God lets you know what kind of sinner you are, you cannot, you cannot help but worry about your sins. That is, that is, uh, <laughs> so don't tell anybody ever. Don't ever tell anybody, don't worry about your sins. Tell, confirm it. Yes, you are. You're as vile as you feel to be. But I'm going to give you an answer that you can give them. And the, uh, this is a different wine. This goes in the back. Now, in the 10th chapter, this is the Good Samaritan. I'm going to give you a different view of the Good Samaritan than probably you've ever had. And uh, I'm not arguing with the regular view of it, but I, I, I see it a little different way. All right. In the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted Jesus and said, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Notice, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This was a Jewish master, somebody who understood the law. Now, Jesus says, ask him two questions. What is written in the law? And how readest thou? You tell me what you think about it. And he says... All right, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbors thyself. You know, those are the two that all, all the ten fall under. You, you understand that. He got the answer right. It's a good answer. Jesus says to him, thou hast answered right. Do this and thou shalt live. And then... The the, uh, the the master or the uh, uh, the uh, the lawyer says to the master, who is willing now to justify himself. That is, I want to prove myself. I want you to tell me who is my neighbor. Who can I identify as somebody under these two commandments? Who can I identify as my neighbor, as somebody that I'll know? has eternal life. Who is he? That I may know what to really do for him. And then Jesus gives the good Samaritan parable. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment, wounding him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, <clears throat> it is... My view, I may be the only primitive Baptist to say it this way, it is my view that Jesus Christ is speaking concerning the new birth and that it is God that is the thief. You say, well, that's awful. No, it's not. It is God that wounds. You got scripture for that? I have scripture for that. Don't be alarmed. God says himself, I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal. You don't need healing unless you're first wounded. Ain't that right? Why would you need to be healed of something you've never been wounded for? doesn't make sense to me. That's why Jesus Christ says, The whole does not need the physician, but the sick. The sick needs the physician. So, so Jesus is describing the condition of a man after God has invaded him, after God has given him his first taste of wine. This is the man right here who has drank the wine of astonishment. Now, 
in the, in the 11th chapter of the book of Luke. Now let's go about Christ being a thief. Alright? This is his argument against the Pharisees who accused him of casting out devils in the name of devil. That don't make sense. That's like a dog biting his own leg. A dog that usually does not just take hold of his own leg and bites, keeps biting and chewing on his own leg. It, it, just, it don't make any sense. Now, so when Christ is talking now concerning man in a state of deadness in sin, this is who Christ is speaking of. So what he is saying is, which is a which when in that state they are in the kingdom of darkness. Your influence is the devil, and you don't mind it. You don't have any. There's no reason to mind it. What's what's to afflict you? Other than an outward law to keep you from doing wrong, that you might get punished, go to jail or something like that, or, 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 you know, or somebody being disappointed in you. But there is no conscience toward God in this individual right here that Jesus describes. In other words, he is saying flesh will not war against flesh. It will not turn on itself just like the dog won't bite his own leg, just like Satan will not cast out Satan. So he describes the condition of the man. Says he is a strong man. This is 11 and 21. When a strong man who is armed keepeth his palace. This is your palace. This is mine. You got one. It's your body. His goods are at peace. Everything is okay. I'm in control of myself. I have got a good plan in life. You know, I'm a, I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a partier. I'm a drinker. I, I go out with who I want to. I do this. I do that. Uh, you know, there is no problem whatsoever in me. I'm just at peace with life. I love it. Then, Jesus says, when a stronger than he shall, and that's a hard shall Baptist, but that's just that's, that's as good as a shall as anything in the Bible. This shows that Jesus Christ will come to the people that he loves and he shall change their life and turn their world upside down. And it doesn't say that when he's stronger than he comes and knocks on that little door of your heart and hopes you're going to open up to him. He says when one stronger than he, and Christ is stronger, he don't need your permission to invade yourself. Christ does not need your consent to born you of his spirit. He doesn't need you. To do that. In fact, he does it against your will. And he says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Notice whose power it is, and you just shall be willing. You can't help. You're just going along in life. Your goods are at peace. You're armed. Your palace is okay. All your goods inside are at peace. And here comes a different nature, just like this. When one stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, overcome him. He taketh from him. That's stealing, isn't it? Takes from him his goods. Takes from him his armor that he, that he trusted in. And he divides his spoils, gives them away. The sinner is no longer possessed with what he thought brought him happiness in life. Jesus Christ simply robs him of those joys. That's the wine of astonishment. That's the, that's the first taste a sinner gets. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Because notice he says this man is half dead. When a man is dead in sins, he is fully dead. Right? He, if a man is dead in sins, he is without the nature of God. He is dead in sins. The only life he has is being corporally alive. And that's it. But now Jesus said this man's only half dead. <laughs> He's no longer dead in sins. He's dead to sin. He's half dead. Now, let's see what he says about the law that this lawyer trusted in so much. All right, we got, we got a guy that God has wounded. We got a guy that God has robbed. His palace is no longer at peace. Simply, this man here is in a different state than he was when he left Jerusalem to go down to Jericho. And by chance, there came down a certain priest. There's your law. And what does, what does the law do to the wounded man after Christ has wounded him? Does it turn to him and say, listen, buddy, all you got to do is this. <laughs> all you got to do is this. What does it say it does? Passes by. It can't do anything. 
the law has no effect on this individual right here because this individual knows what kind of wretched man he is. He, the law just simply passes by. The ceremonial and the law of Moses represented in the priest and the Levite. He doesn't say, get up and offer sacrifice. Get up and offer me a, you know, if you just, just, you're just half dead. All you got to do is offer a sacrifice to God. Go take an animal, go to the temple, offer sacrifice to God. What does the Levite and what does the priest do? They simply pass by on the other side. Neither one's going to do this man any good. This man is lying here by himself in a wounded condition and the law is not going to help him. He cannot run to Sinai. He cannot go and, and try to put out that fire and that smoke. He knows he is under its curse. He feels the pains of his sins. He understands how, to, how vile he is that he stands before God and... There goes my glasses. Sorry, change. <laughs> I've done it. Oh, wait a minute. Hang on a minute. I had already fixed one pair because I did that earlier. Here we go. Now, now, what's going to do this man good? The law can't. Right? It passes by. That's why Jesus taught this. It passes by. So the priest passed by. Likewise, a Levite came to that same place, looked on him. Can't do any good. Passes right on by. But a certain Samaritan, and I think Christ is talking about himself, as he journeyed, he came where he was because he wounded him. Remember, I wound and I heal. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. The only thing that helps the wounded sinner that God has wounded is the wine of comfort. And you find that in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus pours in. It's not, it's not a tainted wine. <laughs> and it's not my version. And it's not, it's, not, it's not anybody else's version of wine. It, is, it goes in the vat, but it is God's wine. And it is a wine to heal the wounded. It is a wine to make them refreshed. It is a wine to, to, uh, to sustain them and get them back on their feet and understand why they feel this way. Because God loves you. Why, why do I hate sin? Because God hates sin. You didn't do it before God was in you. Why do I feel so condemned for my sin? Because God made you feel that way. Now, friends, if you feel that way, I've got good news for you. You're no longer dead in sins. And the only thing that's going to comfort that wound and heal that wound is the one who wounded you in the wine that represents Him. And that is Jesus Christ. That is a comforting wine to have. That goes in the vat. You need it. And God means to give it. God means to give it to us. It's important to understand, and it is God's wine. We don't get to divert and change its flavor and say to the sinner who's laying there, all you got to do is this. That's a, it's like the law coming up and trying to get him to get up. Now all you got to do is this. Just get up from this, this place. God loves you. He wants to save you. You're in this condition. Now all you got to do is be baptized. Now all you got to do is confess. Now all you got to do is, is accept. Friends, that is wrong. That is wrong. Don't tell that individual what has, he has to do. All he can see is the law. All he can see is everything passing by. He can see everything, all of his will, all of his way going right by. He just lays wounded there until Jesus comes and says, I wounded you and I'm going to heal you. You're mine. I have chosen you before the foundation of the world and I have loved you that long and you are saved. My blood was shed for you. Get up on your feet and go your way and be joyful. Go to my house. Worship me. That is what I intend for you to do from here on out. That is a good Savior. And then he turns him over to the ministry. Takes him in, puts him on his beast, goes in and says, all right, Everything that this man ever needs, you lay it to my charge. I'll take care of him. And that's the only thing I can preach. I will not change the theme. Everything you need was laid to Christ's charge. For your salvation in time, for your salvation in eternity, you can thank God for it. You can thank it in the person of Christ. That goes into the vat. That is important wine indeed. It has its own distinct flavor. But it belongs there. Now the love of Christ is another thing. Oh my gosh. 
And we're, we're, we're just about done. I just got a couple more, and, and, and I won't spend as long on these. All right. The, uh, in the book of Psalm, Psalm, uh, Song of Solomon's, the love of God. The love of Christ as the, as the bridegroom for the church is, is, uh, is compared to wine. All right. So in the first chapter of Song of Solomon's, he says, Let him, and this is the first chapter, second verse, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. So, they, so wine is a representation, or, and his love is actually better. But it also shows a representation of the love of Christ, which is, which is a part of that pouring into. Because you don't understand the reason you're wounded is because He loves you. It's the same reason you chastise your children. Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. Now he that hath no chastening is a bastard and not a son. For what son is he whom God chasteneth not? Now, we, 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 we give reverence, Paul says, to our natural fathers when they, when they whip us. It's, it's, he says, they whip us, they, they, they spank us, they chastise us because we're their son. They love us. How much more shall we be in subjection unto the Father of lights and we live? If you're chastened of the Lord after you're born again, right? And you sin and you do wrong and God visits you and wounds that conscience again, it's because He loves you. Just be in subjection to Him. Don't faint. When that, faint not when thou art chasing of the Lord. Love is the driving force by why God does everything for you. Love is. Now, in the second chapter, he says, I am the rose of Sharon, I am the lily of the valleys. As a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. There is an exchange between the husband and the wife, between Christ and his bride, his elect family. I sat down under the shadow, uh, under his shadow with great delight. His fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the Banqueting house. And that literally means house of wine. And his banner over me is love. That's exactly what that word is transcribed to be the house of wine. Same thing what Esther did. Remember in the book of Esther when she had a banquet? She was catching Haman in his life. But it was a banquet of wine. It is, a, it is a banquet of wine when Jesus Christ brings His bride, you particularly, right into His chamber and then puts the banner of love over you and expresses to His chosen bride how much He loves you so much that I have died for you, thou art mine, I will refresh you, I'll give you everything you need, you turn to me, you live for me, you follow me, you serve me. I am your husband, you are my bride. This is, this is a loving Savior and, 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 and it is a banqueting house. It is, and so in fact, he says, next, stay me with thy flagons. Now that, that, and the flagon is what they used to put wine in. That is, you know, keep me here, sustain me with this love. Don't let me go away from here. Do not let me prefer anything above this love. That's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. You know what's in the kingdom? This love. This banqueting house. But notice she is right there with Him. She needs Him. Now she loses Him in a little while. <laughs> she don't get up and answer the door in a little while. She's in bed. She's asleep. We get lazy spiritually, don't we? We get absolutely lazy. Forget to pray. Forget to read. Uh, don't worship God like we're supposed to. We just get plumb spiritually lazy. And, and Christ withdraws Himself. And then, then you get up, you open the door, and He's gone. Then she goes out to the streets and says, Where is my beloved? Somebody tell me where He's at. Don't get spiritually lazy. You stay under the shadow of the one who's loved you. And guess where you get to go? The banqueting house. So love. This goes in the mixture. 
This is a part of this is a vital part of it for for our joy all the days of our life. You can drink and and taste that flavor in the mixture of this wine. Now the New Testament church and the truths under it are also represented as wine. And the greatest place is that I can think of is at the at the uh, at the wedding when Jesus Christ when there were six water pots and his mama said they, they want wine, they don't, they're without wine. And uh, he says, woman, what have I to do with thee? My time's not, it comes not quite time for me to do these miracles. And yet, there was some kind of look mama gave him. Because she just turned around and says, whatsoever he saith to you, do it. And he gave her some, he gave her some approving nod or, or a smile. I don't know what, well, I wished I did. I wished I did. But, but, but he did what his mama asked, in other words. So he turns the water into wine, and they draw out to the governor. The governor says, this is not how this normally goes. Normally, the best wine is given at the beginning, and after men are, are, have well drunk, or not in a drunken stupor, but after they have drunk, then that which is worse, when they don't care quite as much, but thou hast saved the best wine for now. God has saved the best for under the gospel dispensation of Jesus Christ. This is the best wine that goes that is on this earth. It is belongs in the vat. It is all of the ordinances into it. It is your baptism. It is our communion. It is our fellowship. It is our love. It is everything concerning the gospel kingdom and God saved the best for last. And this is going to run out all the way to the end until time stands no more. This will be here on this earth somewhere. It belongs in the vat. You can't separate it from it. You can't add to it. You can't change this New Testament church. There are so many people who set up you know, they, they, they just, there's, this, there's new places all over the place. New places all over the place. Somebody sets up a church here. Somebody sets up a church here. You got this title, this title. And, and let me tell you, friends, God's church has never stopped. His kingdom has always been since the day that Christ built it. Daniel prophesied of that. He says there is a time coming... When, when, uh, when, when all of the kings of the earth that he talks about in that, that image, when, when there's going to be a rock hewn out of the hill, and that's going to destroy all other kingdoms, and that kingdom will last from generation to generation, yea, even forever, it shall not have an end, said Daniel. So Christ says, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. Don't set up something new, just join into the old. Affix yourself to the old. Don't, don't try to uh, change the establishment. Christ established it. It doesn't need any more upgrades. It doesn't need any more delight. If Christ is not our delight, we are not going to get what we need in the church. If we simply want to be entertained, if we simply want to, to stand out, you know, if, if we want the church to be just like a big social gathering and, and uh, no different than a concert or no different than, you know, than, than, than just mixing and mingling outside, then friends, you can find that anywhere you want, but you cannot find the true gospel church other than tracing it all the way back to what Christ built. And I believe that is the primitive Baptist church, or I'd be somewhere else. Why would I be here if I did not think this was the church? That's how important the church is. That's wine. That is the best wine that is a lasting wine that belongs in the vat. Now, there is one more wine in the book of Revelation. This is the wine of God's eternal wrath. But I want you to notice the, the, the wording here. Remember, <clears throat> there is a mixture of wine. Uh, I have mingled or mixed my wine. Come in hither and you drink of it. Now, will you drink of God's divine wrath? Let's see. Now, in the 14th chapter of the book of Revelations, notice the wording. Talking about those who receive the image or the mark of the beast. 
And, and uh, now however you look at this scripture is, is up to you. But this part here we cannot argue about. We must be in agreement. In the 10th verse it says, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture. It's not mixed with any of those others. This is a separate wine that only the wicked will drink. In the, in the uh, 75th Psalm, David describes it as the dregs of the wine. In the hand is a cup. It is full of red wine. And the wicked shall wring the dregs out and drink of God's wrath. But notice it is without mixture. It doesn't have grace. It doesn't have election. It doesn't have the blood of Christ. It doesn't have a wounded individual. It doesn't have a healing balm. It simply is a separate wine that is without the mixture. It stands by itself. It's reserved for the enemies of God. It is reserved for what you and I would have gotten if not for God's electing love. So this is poured out without mixture. This is poured into the cup of God's indignation with fire and brimstone in the presence of the angels and of the Lamb of God at the end of time. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. They are simply... And you know what? They go away. Now that, that's a frightening thought. But you know what? That, that is exactly what every individual deserves. When you understand the rest of those wines, when you understand what it took to rescue you from this, it makes you love Jesus Christ the more. It makes you want to serve Him the better. It makes you want to drink of all these wines of His love and of His healing balm. It makes you want to taste of that vat and understand a refreshing of God's electing grace to you and of, of why you feel so guilty for your sins, of, of everything Christ must be to you. But you'll never taste of that. That is without mixture. That doesn't belong in there. That stands by itself, reserved for the devil and the wicked. And may God bless every one of us to... To, to drink the wine. Uh, it is a mixture of it, and it all makes sense when it's all unraveled and put in its proper place. Does it not make sense? That's why it's complete. That's why she built on seven pillars. And she calls to those who are simple, come here, you drink of this. Let me show you what's been done for you. Let me show you about your Savior. And that's a good Savior to show about. May the Lord richly bless every one of you.